0: Shall we begin? Um, Ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome to the LSE for this afternoon's event. My name is Robin Mansell. I'm the Deputy Director and Provost of the LSE. It is a very great honour for me to welcome the Prime Minister of Luxembourg, Xavier Battelle, to the LSE. Prime Minister Battelle was elected leader of the Democratic Party in 2013, Following the legislative elections that year, he was asked to form a coalition government. He assumed his post as Luxembourg's Prime Minister on the 4th of December 2013. And in the government's coalition of the Democratic Party, the Luxembourg Socialist Workers' Party, and the Greens, he also holds the functions of Minister of State, Minister for Media and Communications, and Minister for Religious Affairs – Quite a portfolio. (laughs) A member of the Democratic Party since uh, 1989, Xavier Battelle was elected to Parliament for the first time in 1999 at the age of 26. In Parliament, his roles have included Vice Chairman of the Legal Affairs Committee and Vice Chairman of the Committee of Inquiry into the State of Intelligence Services. At the local level... Xavier Battelle served as the mayor of the city of Luxembourg from 2011 until his appointment as prime minister. As I'm sure you may know, Luxembourg is currently holding the presidency of the Council of the (coughs) European Union, and in his speech today, the prime minister will focus on the challenges the Luxembourg presidency has had to face since July and the implementation of its ambitious program of work, to prepare the European Union for the challenges that lie ahead, and I'm sure all of you will know there are many challenges. For Twitter users in the audience, the hashtag for today's event is um, hashtag LSE Europe. I ask you to please turn off your mobile phones or put them on silent so nobody disrupts this event. The event is being recorded, and that will be available as a podcast unless we have technical difficulties. After the lecture, there'll be a chance for you to ask questions of the Prime Minister. So, without more from me, please join me in welcoming Prime Minister Xavier Patel to deliver his lecture, which he's entitled Europe 2.0, The New Challenges of the European Union. Thank you. Prime
1: Dear Professor Mansell, Excellencies, dear professor, dear students, I am uh, very pleased to be uh, here uh, today. It's the opportunity to speak in front of you. LSE uh, has a long history and uh, a great reputation. Also in Luxembourg, my diplomatic advisor is a former student from uh, LSE, so I know how they are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and she's still my diplomatic advisor after two years. <laughs> no, I really want to say that you belong to top universities uh, in the world, and uh, it's uh, also an institution with uh, many notable alumni in the fields of uh, economies, in the fields of politics, of business, and research. Thank you for the introduction. Yes, I'm uh, Minister of State, Prime Minister, Minister of Telecommunication and also Minister of Religious uh, Affairs. Strange cocktail, but uh, as I I said, as a Prime Minister, I do the coordination of the politics. I'm uh, leading the government, and for me it was important also to be in charge of the telecommunication, the IT sector. And as you said before you should switch off the phone, but you should use the hashtag. So this is something I try to explain to my people, that it is uh, not possible to switch off the phone and to use the hashtag. <laughs> so put it on uh, silence and uh, just tweet. And then, if it's not enough, as you said, dear professor, I'm also in charge of religious matters, so the Holy Spirit is on my side. Um, the LSC also... Uh, stands for innovation and for being a university of engaging political debates. It is a place where people are told to sink out of the box, and this is exactly what we currently need in our society. The challenges that lie ahead of us are huge. And in Europe, we have reached a moment where we need leaders in our society who are ready to face these challenges, to tell the truth, and to be ready also to be unpopular but to take decisions. And the challenges nowadays are numerous. There are external threats, for example. We must be fully aware that we live in a very uncertain and trying times. The world so rounding us has uh, never been so unpredictable and so and dangerous also. Last week, I was in Kiev to meet with President Poroshenko and Prime Minister Yatsenyuk to talk about the recent development in the Ukraine and on the Minsk agreement. A week before, I was in Sochi to speak with President Putin. What uh, happened in Ukraine reminds me that the security of international borders over Europe is probably less secure than we had thought. We cannot take things for granted. If I look North Africa and the Middle East, they are in large parts of them um, in turmoil. Unstable regimes of failed states are the prey of militant Islamist terror movements, which are spreading and threatening not only the integrity of countries like Iraq or Syria, but threatening also our citizens as well. Other allies like Turkey are facing terrorist threats as well. Other threats are a danger to the entire European Union, to its member states, among them the United Kingdom as a historic beacon for democracy and human rights. We must be aware that our model for society is contested and some people and terrorist organizations want to get rid of it, or at least limit its influence. These threats demand that the EU and its member states adopt a strong and robust common position. Besides external threats to our security, we are of course in a global market, and we are challenged by rising economy in Asia, South America, and on the African continent. It is not easy to compete with these regions when at the same time we want to preserve our achievements in relation to environment protection and social standards. So the economic growth and the position of European companies on the global market is a major challenge for all of us. And let me be clear, the consequences of the financial crisis are still determining our political agenda. What we used to refer to as the crisis, has now become normality. Many member states are still struggling with their national budgets, and even if the European economy is in a better shape than it was two years ago, we are not out of the woods yet. Unemployment is still a major issue across Europe, and especially the lack of perspectives for many young people gives me a headache every time I think about it. So one of our main challenges must be to stimulate the economy, make our continent more attractive for investors, and boost job creation. But we are not only facing challenges on the global platform, we also are confronting serious internal challenges. It is not surprising that 28 individual countries with completely different backgrounds with different histories and different stories, have also, also different ways of dealing with problems and facing challenges. I have been Prime Minister since December 2013, and I have already witnessed some difficult situations where our core values and the strength of the EU was tested. The most recent, the Greek crisis, is an example for such a very Difficult internal situation. I remember very well that I travelled to Brussels numerous times and that the result of the meeting was minor or maybe not the solution one could have wished for. I also remember very well a maritime meeting which lasted over 17 hours and the, out- the outcome of that meeting was quite positive. Despite my critics say, the solution of the Greek crisis was demonstration of European solidarity. We did not allow Greece to drift away. Most of the Eurozone countries face their own fiscal and budgetary difficulties. Some of them are hit very hard by their own structural reforms. But we showed solidarity with our Greek friends. Good decisions take time, and often this is frustrating for those who are waiting for those. Decisions. It is certainly true that lots, lots of things in the EU are too complicated and it has become more and more difficult to implement universal standards on a territory that is geographically and culturally widespread and diverse. We have reached a turning point. As you all know, or as Professor reminds the one who didn't know, Luxembourg is holding the presidency of the Council of the European Union. I have not been personally involved in any of the 11 previous presidencies, but I can assure you that these months are not the easiest ones. The European Union is currently facing the biggest migration crisis since the end of the Second World War, and the decisions we take now will have a major impact on our future. It is not the first time that we are challenged like this. The European Union is actually built on the biggest challenge that the founders could have come up with. Make hereditary hereditary, hereditary enemies become friends and trusted partners. In our recent history, the fall of the Berlin Wall pushed the EU out of its comfort zone and the the members then had to face a new, very trying situation. Hence, the present challenges like the refugee crisis can be compared to previous ones where we managed collectively to face what lay in front of us. And I remember uh, quoting Angela Merkel where we celebrate this year the anniversary of the reunification of Germany to say that Europe was not there to build walls but to take walls away. And yet... We have to be critical with ourselves and make an analysis of our reaction to this difficult situation. In July, it seemed to be absolutely impossible to find a common ground for the discussions on border control, on quotes for the resettlement and the relocation of the refugees and on the installation of the so-called hotspots. Luxembourg has from the beginning on tried to mediate and to assume the role of a bridge builder, Together with the European Commission, the presidency of the Council of the European Union invests a lot of energy into finding solutions to the immediate problems. In September, we took decisions on quotas as there was a clear agenda for resettlement, relocation, for border control and for installation of hotspots. Now we need to make this work and when someday history judges us, it will only be a small step in our process of dealing with the migrant crisis. In the long term, we will have to raise questions on how serious we take our own values, on how devoted we are when it comes to give a quick response response to urgent questions. It also will bring us to question the future of the European Union and its core business. Luxembourg, yes, has a clear vision. We want a EU that continues to be strong and which is close to the interest of the people. But we also want a European Union that is most efficient and responsive to the needs of our citizens and of the business community. The question is, what does that really mean? What is the right path to take? What reality, what really are the reforms that need to be implemented in the European Union in order to make it more efficient and less less bureaucratic. More Europe or less Europe? To be honest, I'm not even entirely sure what it means when we say more or less Europe. I'm not entirely sure that less Europe means less bureaucracy, for example. Often, bureaucracy is national (coughs) responsibility and not at all a European one. (coughs) For me and for my government... There are a couple of red lines that cannot be crossed. This is an example for the free movement of people. Non-discrimination. It is the free market. But also social issues. We cannot give up what is fundamental. But also we cannot refuse major reforms. If you want to preserve something, you must accept also its change. And the EU also needs to change in order to become more attractive again. There is a problem with the reputation of this unique peace project, and we have to work on this. The key to a better reputation is not only the structural reform we all talk about, it is much more the way political leaders behave when talking about the European Union. I studied in France. I'm Luxemburger, I studied in France, and I studied in Greece. And believe me, when I re- remember that time, I remember, for example, leaving the university to have dinner with friends in another country, a neighbour country of Greece. And I had to wait over two hours at the border because the customs were closed. They were watching TV. This is something you cannot realise nowadays. You can travel, easy access, no boards in Europe... And we don't realize what Europe brought us very often. And so it's important to remind the evolution we had in the last days, in the last months, in the last years, and what Europe brought us. Unfortunately, and the pity is that a lot of national politicians tend to use Brussels as a scapegoat for everything that is unpopular and hard to explain. What is Brussels actually? I can tell you what it is not. It is not some leviathan who decides how we all have to behave. In fact, Brussels is all of us. It is you as it is me. It is you because you are voters and you elected the European Parliament as you voted for national politicians and for political parties who all take influence on the decisions taken on the European level. So we should stop blaming Brussels for everything that goes wrong while taking credit for what is popular. I hear it very often, some politicians who say, good decisions, it's my decisions. Bad decisions is Brussels decisions. This is not how we have to behave and we have to stick to the reality. So we tend to forget that European Union also means consumer protection. It means social standards. It means security and free labor market. It wouldn't hurt to mention this once in a while. If you are traveling somewhere and you get sick and you can go to the doctor. If you can have a lawyer if you get into trouble. If you can fall in love with someone who has a different passport. It's reality nowadays in Europe. You can fall in love of 27 different countries without having too much problem to get your love in your own country. Believe me, some years ago it was harder. You need to test it, Ambassador. I don't want. I don't know if you are married or not, so I won't quote uh, you. Um, So there is um, a clear need for change, and the discussions here in the United Kingdom about renegotiating European treaties and the possibility about the UK leaving the EU is a wake-up call. There are a couple of legitimate questions about our own future, and this goes from fundamental questions about what we want to be as a union, free trade zone or a political union of common values. To less fundamental and yet very important questions <coughs> on official languages or the need for a EU defense policy. So, there are many issues and I'm ready to tackle them together and in a positive spirit. Whatever the challenges are listed, whatever the nature or origin The way to deal with them is to face them together. Staying, working and deciding together is implementing the fundamental principle of solidarity, which is at the basis of the European idea and integration. Solidarity does not only mean that those who have more have to share with those who have less. This is certainly the most visible dimension of it. Solidarity also means that we are united when we want to progress that we tackle challenges together and enjoy the results of our success together. A EU 2.0 is a EU where all member states find a legitimate and comfortable place. But this will not happen if we do not all work hard, if we don't work together on this. The EU is not a marketplace where where you go and get away what you want. This would be too narrow and the vision of what the European project is about. It is far more subtle. Like all our partners, we get to live in peace and stability together. It is not only the fulfillment of fundamental humanist achievement in our region. It is also the best possible condition for business and trade. This is easily forgotten and not a romantic idea. It is the condition sine qua non, For all of us to be able to interact with each other in the interest of our economy and trade. The EU 2.0 is also a union of solidarity and this also means that we, we abide by the same rules. If some get extra rules which automatically give them a special status which is potentially distorting the relationship, we are not united anymore. That is the idea of the common rules applicable to all. That is why we gradually moved away from a system where anonymous decisions were needed for taking action in the interest of us all. It was, by the way, Margaret Thatcher, who was in favor of a qualified majority, just to remind, as the best way to guarantee British interest. How? Britain, through the weight of its vote, as one of the biggest member states with a large population, cannot easily be overruled but if we had kept veto rights, any country could block a British proposal. But uh, EU 2.0 is also a union that is able of competing with other regions. The ICT sector should be an example where the Europeans are in the driver's seat. And we have some work to do in this sector, but I'm convinced that we are on the right path. It is not possible that Europe is blocked between Asia and America, We have to invest a lot into research, innovation, and development of new technologies. I could mention, for example, my own country, which has a long-standing history in the media and communication sector with RTL, a pioneer in commercial radio and television, or ASIA's Astra, Europe's first private satellite operator. But I could also mention the example of Estonia, which is investing a lot of effort into becoming an electronic society where almost everything can be done online. This sector is our future. And together, as a European market, we have very good chances into becoming a global benchmark for everything related to new technologies. Ladies and gentlemen, dear Excellencies, dear Professor, dear students, I did not come here with a toolbox that it's labelled how to fix the EU. I think we should not even try to fix something that is not broken. There are some elements that must be replaced. Others have to be refurbished. But the European Union works, and it works quite good. If we manage now to reorganise and to change our own view on this unique peace project, its future is secured and it will continue to be successful. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate the emphasis that you put on uh, collective responses and challenges and solidarity values leading to action. And I'm sure the audience will have many questions for you. Um, I am going to open the floor now. I'm going to collect up some questions, maybe two or three at a time, and then I'll give you a chance to (laughs) respond. Can you give your uh, name and affiliation when you speak and wait for the microphone... uh, which is roving to get to you. So do I see some questions? Yes, there in the centre.
2: Shall I stand up
0: or not? I think you might stand up. Okay,
2: okay. Um, hello, I'm Sasha. Uh, I'm nothing to do with the LSE. I'm I'm at school still. Um, but I was just going to ask that very recently the European Commission ruled that a so-called tax deal struck between uh, Fiat and Luxembourg was actually ir- was actually illegal. And they also cautioned that many other such deals struck between very large multinational corporations and countries such as yours uh, within the EU may also well... Uh, be it, may also well be illegal as well, so I was just wondering uh, in, in your speech, you spoke uh, uh, an awful lot about uh, solidarity and, and, and the need uh, to to abide by a common set of rules. So I was just wondering why your country so so willingly sacrifices this ideal when it comes to corporate tax.
0: Thank you. do I see other hands yes there 's one there on the aisle.
2: Um, I'm Felix, a first-year student at the LSE and also a Luxembourg citizen. i of Herr Premier. You mentioned in your speech a point which really intrigued me. Um, you said that you believed that the, bureauc- uh, the bureaucracy inherent in the EU was an issue uh, to be dealt with by individual member states and not by the EU as a whole. Uh, however, when you have such complicated bodies as the Council of Europe, the European Council and the Council of the European Union, um, wouldn't you say that it might be rather difficult for member states to tackle this problem individually? Thank you very much.
0: Okay, thank you. One more, any more. Yeah, there's somebody, I see
3: a hand, a woman there. Um, Hello, my name is Leonie, Um, I'm from Germany and I'm studying in Germany and currently intern at the German embassy. Um, I have one question regarding uh, European identity. You mentioned um, solidarity quite often, but you didn't mention European identity. So I wanted to ask, like, in which way do you see an European identity? And if not, like what are you going to do about this? Or why is there not a huge campaign on this? Yeah.
0: Thank you. Can I turn to you now?
1: Thank you for all those questions. The first question's about the tax issues. Um, Luxembourg and my government fully support a level playing field, so rules for all. And um, we discovered that uh, you, you, you wanted to mention... Uh, um, LuxLeaks story that LuxLeaks was a uh, France Leaks and Belge Leaks and Netherlands Leaks, and that nearly over 20 countries in the European Union are doing tax rulings. Maybe it's a different name in France, it's risque uh, but it's the same. So, what is important is to have common rules for all of us. and I'm very happy that under Luxembourgish presidency we had um, uh, decided a few weeks ago that there will be an exchange of information between the administration so that um, what is legal, legal in one country is, uh, is legal in uh, other countries or uh, at, uh, there will be ex- ex- exchanges. Uh, to this is, We don't believe that a country's economy can be based on the fact that you get the economies of companies that they won't pay taxes in other countries. So it is important to have a level playing field. Now it's the 28. I hope that we will also go further and that the OCDE will be able to work on that topic, which is, I think, an even better place to have a large uh, scale because it's, uh, it's we, sometimes we take rules for the 28th, and so the uh, companies decided just to leave neighbor countries of the 28th because they know that they won't be uh, under this uh, legislation. But uh, my uh, government... <coughs> Decided to, to, to change some, uh, some uh, laws, but it was, it was legal, it was not uh, illegal. Now, the Commission uh, said uh, about FIAT that this was uh, state uh, help. I think uh, your country also, I, I'm British, your country is also in front of the court for some topics where some other countries reproach them to have state aids. So, I uh, won't blame anyone uh, as long as it's not uh, finally judged about uh, European decisions. Um, about uh, You spoke about uh, the European um, institutions, just to, to say, because you said also Council of Europe. Council of Europe is something totally different. Council of Europe is just human rights, it's national delegations coming together, which is far over the European unions, where uh, Russia is invited now, because I don't know if they go or not, it, it depends, but where it's, it's much larger, even I think the Vatican is member of the Council of Europe and Monaco and etc. Et so it's larger, and this is a place where we discuss about human rights, and I think it's important also to have an institution there, what we call the European Court of Human Rights, which is also the respect of these rules we have from this Council of Europe that we give for uh, 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 democracy rights, uh, for example, fair process, um, to have uh, uh, speed in the process, not to take too long, all these things, free media, all these things are decided also um, about um, people's rights in these institutions. So I wouldn't mix this with the others. If we speak now about the European institutions, for, for this is the Council, this is the Commission, and um, this is the Parliament. And then we have other bodies like the Court of Justice, Court of Auditors, and things like that. But I, you say that we have um, not that much bureaucracy in our own uh, countries. I believe we have a lot of bureaucracy in our country. And when I see how, how many countries, and I know what I'm speaking about, takes time to transpose European texts. We have a lot of bureaucracy because normally when we decide something on the European level, it should be fast. And if you see how many countries are delayed and get, get again into court uh, because uh, they, have, um, uh, they are delayed in transposition, it's the, it's the fact that we also on our national level are not efficient in some things. The topic is very often in Europe we will speak about the things not working. I remember before the European elections. So always, some populists will tell you, "You know, Europe, it's the size of the pizza, it's uh, the the band of the banana, it's uh, the the oil can." But these is really these are examples because we have some legislations that you will use instead of speaking about health security, about food security, about all the positive things. If you just pick up things which are not working, you will find them everywhere. So I should I would be proud to say what what that you as Luxembourgish students are able to study here in London, that I'm sure you have a social insurance or health insurance and that your parents because they pay in Luxembourg are able not to pay for you a special fee here, things like that. This is Europe too. So you should be also proud about what Europe brought us. I fully admit that uh, we are not uh, on the, the the best shape uh, for the moment, but to blame the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy depends also about the decisions sometimes that uh, we take. And then the, the German lady spoke about European identity. What do you mean by European identity? Because I think if there is one continent also which is a melting pot of identities, it's Europe, and this is our strength. We are the richest continent in the world. And this is because we were able to have this melting pot of cultures, of religions. I don't want to speak about an European point of view now that we all should have the same identity. I think this is the strength of the European Union to be different and not to want to have the same language, the same uh, history, the same behavior. I think uh, the fact to be able to travel to each other, to discover each other, to learn from each other, makes the strength of our our continent. And your your chancellor, Madame Merkel, um, had questions last month where someone said, you know, with all these refugees, our Catholic identity in Europe is in danger. And she said, have you been to a church last Sunday? And the lady said, no. You see so what are you speaking about? And then she said, Do you know how many people are in our churches now? And she said often it's not that popular. And then she said Ask a young guy why we celebrate Eastern. No clue why this religious Catholic uh, Eastern is there to be celebrated. And so Angela answered Should we blame so Muslims or Orthodox or Protestant or Jews because they are more practicant than we are? So uh, I think the strength of Europe is to be this melting pot of, uh, of different cultures, religions, uh, ideas, and things like that. This makes the success of our continent. That's my point of view.
0: Thank you. Yes, over there in the corner.
2: Hi, my name is Mike Sweeney. I'm from a, a business research group called K2 Intelligence Um, I was interested when you were talking about the legacy of the recession and the fact that we are still living in it. I wonder if Luxembourg, again, has questions to answer on that front. This is a a country where 25% of the GDP is is the financial sector and repeatedly fails to stand up to uh, big banks and financial groups like Landsbanki or... There's a trial tomorrow of uh, Wind Hellas, a Greek telecommunications company, which was ruined by two private equity groups. Does Luxembourg have the willingness and the, the power to stand up to the banking sector uh, and make the real reforms that need to be implemented after the recession? Thank
4: you. I saw two hands over there. Thank you. My name is Evdoxia I'm a Greek correspondent. Um, Prime Minister, you spoke about um, refugee crisis, um, solidarity, a lot economy, and security in the EU. I wanted to ask you about um, the Greek uh, um, uh, economy crisis. Uh, you spoke about solidarity. We should, be, um, we should help our Greek friends, said, uh, do you said. Will your government um, agree to a debt reduction um, in Greece or else there is no sustainable, um, because it's not sustainable debt. And um, on the refugee crisis, are you happy with the solution? And you said you should be, EU should be critical from July till September. There was no solution and thousands of lives have been lost. How soon do you believe the new solutions will be in place, the hotspots and the, um, the all other suggestions? Thank you.
0: Thank you. And the fellow sitting next to you? Yeah,
2: um, Alex Longley from Bloomberg. Um, you mentioned both the UK and your red lines in renegotiations. Um, you probably know the question about how are renegotiations with the UK going? Is freedom of movement still a red line? Um,
1: and where do you see the
2: UK's future place in the EU?
1: So, first thing, uh, again, Luxembourg uh, is... Um, it's not living from banking secrecy and things like that. Uh, Luxembourg said yes to uh, uh, transparency. We 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 gave up the banking secrecy and uh, all these things. But nowadays we are the second strongest place for funds, for example, after the United States. And I want to be a prime minister of a country where we are able to do things because we know how to do it. They are legal legal. And uh, we have uh, the competence i don 't want to be the prime minister of a country where you do things that you are not allowed to do in other countries, so uh, I think uh, financial sector is an important sector will stay will still be an important sector. but you should um, also know that uh, I spoke before about the SES and uh, telecommunications, the i t sector, the biotechnology logistics and things like that so it 's important to have a diversification also on the economic, uh, on the economic uh, uh, way, but uh, we have uh, what is important for us. It's to have a uh, level playing field, so rules who will be the same for everyone, and they will be also the same in Luxembourg. About are you Greek? Yes, yes poly- Um I said Panipastimos uh, Saloniki. Oh, am poly- Okay, good. Fine. But that's all my Greek, so I will continue in English. I continue in English because except that I know to say Kalikronia, who means happy Christmas, but I think it's not the time to say that. Um, You spoke about debt reduction. I'm not in favor of debt reduction now. Because the problem is it's my taxpayer's money. And if I say to my taxpayer's money that the tax the, the debt reduction is granted, I will get problems. I'm in favor of a debt restructuration, where we speak about longer time, about other rates and things like that. But to say that because Greek governments during years did not have done the work they should have done, that the others have to pay for them now is something I think in my countries will be difficult to accept. So we should give fresh air to the Greeks. You know, it was not that easy in my country to explain to people that I will need to, 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 to lend money from my budget to help the Greeks. But it was a sign of solidarity and it was a sign not to leave Greek uh, getting out uh, of the euro and also uh, being in a a financial uh, disaster. Um, What is important also is to do the reforms in Greece. I, uh, I told you before I'm in charge of religions, but if I'm right the church in Greece has special statues, for example. There are a lot of points where, in Greece, it's important also to 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 do some reforms, maybe which are not the most popular ones, but but which are necessary also um, uh, to do. But um, as I told you, reduction, I'm not in favor for the moment, uh, but restructuration, we should. There, uh, I'm I'm I fully agree to to discuss because we cannot kill the Greeks and uh, letting the, let the uh, Greek economy uh, die. It's important that uh, they have uh, the opportunity also to live again. Then you spoke about hotspots. Yes, but then the Greeks also has to, to help them, to, uh, to help to make them. Now we have the first hotspots in, uh, in Italy. Um, if the hotspot is just a tourniquet, where you just get through and then you have uh, no uh, fingerprints, no controls and nothing, don't, we don't need the hotspots. So the work has to be done also in the hotspots. And this is responsibility from the Greeks and from the Italians and from the uh, countries directly on, on the front line. Uh, so uh, if the government just, uh, uh, they need to, 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 be, to, to, to take concrete uh, measures also. But, and we are ready to help them, uh, material, personal, and also financially, uh, to, to do the hotspots because it's in interest of all that we have these common rules. We see that as Europe. When five persons are in front of a border, we are able to find a solution. But when thousands of people arrive together, we are not able. We are not able. So I'm personally in favor, but personally, it's not my government positions. Personally, I'm in favor that we will need a common immigration politics in Europe. We will need to have common rules. We will need to have common... um, uh, uh, decisions. Uh, this is something we need to, 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 to speak on the European uh, level because we need common answers. This problem is not a national problem. It's a supranational problem. It's more than on my borders. And so it's important to find common solutions. And it's not Angela Merkel's problem or Mr. Um, uh, Feynman's problem. It's a common problem that we all have together. So we have to have also common answers. Then you spoke about the red lines. I had this morning a discussion with Prime Minister Cameron and uh, we exchanged about uh, the demand of the UK and uh, I told him for me it's important now to know exactly. He told me that he will do in the next weeks uh, the, the official demand to Donald Tusk. I will get a copy uh, about uh, the, 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 what are the UK uh, wishes. Yes, there are red lines. If it's to stop free movement of workers, as a principle, I say no. I say no. If you want to have, some, if you want to have more efficient Europe, I say yes. If you, with the euro, we have to, to see exactly what you want. It is not normal that non-euro countries would decide for euro countries about euro decisions. So it's important to see how we can... T- t- I cannot imagine the UK outside the European Union. And I cannot imagine the European Union without the UK. So I think it's, it would be a lose-lose situation. Even if some people think it's popular now. I know some investors who wanted to invest money in the UK. And they told me for the moment they don't know what will be the future of the UK in the EU And so they didn't invest in the UK. And so not to know, and you, a lot of you are business students, one of the nightmares for businessmen, it's not to know what will happen in the next future. So it's important to have a clear statement in which direction we go, but to have a clear position also from the UK government to tell us what they want, we need to discuss, and I want to have... and a decision soon and it's not a discussion for the next two or three years because this wouldn't be good for Europe but would even be less good for the UK
0: Thank you I, I have a question actually um, I wonder given the tensions in all of these areas that you're des- describing and your responsibility for the Ministry of Media and Communications what do you think of the media coverage of some of these big debates like um, UK's exit, potential exit, or the migration problems and what should be done. Do you have any reflections on whether or not we need more regulation or less regulation of the media?
1: I think uh, as Minister of Media and Telecommunication, but also as a Democrat, it is important that media are doing uh, their job and on a free base. What is important is nowadays we don't have only media to inform people, and it's not because I'm able to convince a journalist that I will be able to convince the people. This is over. Nowadays, people, I read it on Facebook. So it must be true. And when you see exactly, now with the Syrian crisis, all these hoax, these wrong stories circulating on Facebook, and it goes viral. then people, and they share and share and share and share. And so, and sometimes, even if you show to people that it's wrong, they will tell you, yeah, but maybe it's wrong, but it's, it cannot be totally wrong. And the work of journalists today is not the same than 15 years ago. 15 years ago, a journalist, when you, he had a story, he would the whole day in, in, investigate to get the full story for the next day to print it. Now, if he's got a story at 2 o'clock, he wants at 10 past 2 to have it on the Internet because it's a question who will be the first one to publish the story. So for me what is important is to educate people to media, to educate students and children to social medias, that they are able not to get just the information from what they read, but to analyze the information and they make their own opinion. This is what is nowadays the biggest challenge. It's not that they get the opinion from someone else, but that they're able to do their own opinion by themselves. And this is something nowadays which is tricky, because it's it, we are in a situation where a lot of people just get the information and take it as granted. And this is something you, as a as a professor and uh, people, are really in in the, in this the, the, but more not at the university but more in the schools. Really, since the youngest age, we need to prepare young people to analyze the information and not to take the information. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you. I think that's something LSE specializes in, too. Um, Yes, I see a hand right at the back, the woman at the back.
5: Thank you, and thank you very much for the inspiring lecture and the answers after this. My name is Evelina, and until recently. I was in the economic team of the president of a small country in Europe, Eastern Europe, And I worked a lot about emigration, which is actually an issue in my country. And what I'm curious about is, do you consider the refugees basically as an asset, a potential for Western Europe, where we have aging population, probably issues with paying pensions and everything in terms of, um, let's say, budget difficulties? And we have the experience of the Balkan Wars, where many people moved to the northern countries and basically were integrated, primary refugees were integrated, and managed to contribute to the economy after years. So do you believe the refugees might be also potential for Europe to basically recover and then gain more competitiveness
0: internationally? Thank you. Thank you. I think it was, yes, there's a hand right at the back.
3: Uh, hi, I'm a master student here in politics and communication, and also coming from a small uh, Eastern Europe country. My question concerns refugees, as well, and immigration. Uh, Basically, don't you think, especially while coming from Eastern Europe, countries of um, Visegrad are not really willing to share the burden of immigration or refugees? Do you think that this is maybe the case when actually Europe or European Union is kind of um, finding a huge um, problem uh, in dealing with political issues and maybe that the political integration of the European Union is not as we would like to have it rather than economic. So do you believe in future political integration of the European Union whereas like the states still try to provide as much uh, of a s- sovereignty as possible especially concerning the issues such as refugee crisis? And also,
4: Can you uh, keep it in, short, please? I'm
3: sorry. <laughs> and also, in the global level, the European Union tries to uh, be act as, a, as, one, like, as one actor, but at the same time, um, actually, unfortunately, for example, my president, uh, he went to China for the parade. Uh, yeah, I'm from Czech Republic. I'm kind of I think I, I have
0: to ask you to stop. Can you?
3: Yeah, I'm sorry. But the thing is that the uh, European Union is not really one actor, do you believe it can be a really strong actor in global politics? I'm okay,
0: gonna thank you. Um, we're going to take a last question. Who wants to be the last? I'll close my eyes, and <laughs> I saw the hand in the middle there. Right.
1: I'm yeah. so sorry afterwards, but I have a plane, and it's a commercial one, so I'm not able to delay it.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Please Hi. keep your question short.
1: Yeah, uh, really simple.
2: Uh, do you think there should be increased fiscal and monetary union or
1: less? This question at all would need a half an hour to answer. But, uh, so first thing uh, about the question of if it's a chance for Europe or not to have this migration. I think it's, uh, we, we, we know that we are getting always older and we need also an immigration. My country is a country where nearly 48% or 47% of the population are non luxembourgers The fact is, figures from OCDE say that we need an immigration. But they don't say how many. So I think it's, and it's very difficult now to tell you if it's a chance or but it's a challenge. That's for sure. It's a challenge, and I believe that if we are the most important thing, it's integration. If we are able to integrate the people arriving in our country, it's a chance. If we are not able to integrate them, it will be a problem. Then about Visegrad. I don't want to blame now one country on another country because there are some different positions in those different countries. Uh, What is important in uh, in Europe, and this is my point of view, is solidarity, I said before. And solidarity goes in both ways. You get, but sometimes also you have to give. And in this situation, it is important, even if it takes longer to discuss, but the solidarity project should be the principle and the rule. And uh, we should have common rules, as I told you before, a mechanism. And uh, when I realized when we started Schengen, nobody believed in Schengen. And now some countries always remind that they are still not in Schengen and they want to enter Schengen. So even if we are not able at 28 to do common immigration policies, we should start, even less. This won't be popular that I say that, but we need solutions. If we just continue to speak without proposing solutions, we won't advance. So we should think about having common rules, having uh, uh, common distribution and things like that. If we are not able at 28, so less. But I don't want to do my national politics on uh, the back of the weakest of a society, which are people who left everything behind them. Not to live a better life, but to survive. Some I know that it's more popular to blame refugees than to defend them. But I won't start to have these kind of speeches. We should never forget that we were also refugees, that a lot of us left our countries during the Second World War and even the century before to go to the United States to be more so successful than we were in our own state. So we should not forget our history um, that belongs also to our DNA. Then you spoke about fiscal and um, um, fiscal and something else. Monetary, monetary uh, union. You know that we work on a monetary uh, union uh, to have um, uh, a more... Uh, I don't want to say closer union because I know that it's a very spe- <laughs> special terms for the for the Brits. But we we work on to having uh, some common rules, especially after the situations we had, as your colleague said before, with problems with banks. To have common uh, um, uh, rules and the EMU uh, is uh, is uh, one of these uh, this project. A fiscal harmonisation. I am fully agreed to speak about what we call the assiette. So the. the not the plate, but <laughs> you know what I mean. The, the, the base, the fiscal basis. Um, I fully agree to discuss about that. But you have to know also that fiscal aspect is also national politics. For example, in my country, you pay 3% for children's clothes. 3% VAT. And you pay 17% VAT for adult clothes. But this is the fact that because we know that for a child, you will need to change every six months, shoes because the the, 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 the the food is growing. So this is a choice. Or, for example, restaurants are 3% food, but alcohol is 70%, or it depends on the alcohol. So these are political choose, choices. And I always have the, exa- the, the impression that if we speak about fiscal harmonization, that means that all the one who has less taxes has to raise them to the maximum of other states. Why don't we speak also in the others, on the other sense? Why don't you put your VIT on restaurants at 3% instead of 15, 20, I don't know how many percents it's in the UK? I always have the feeling it's just in one direction. But fiscal aspects, you ask money because you spend money. So if you're able to do... I, I'm not very popular in my own country for the moment because I did some cuts. But I needed to do them because our public deficit was growing. So I had to raise some taxes, but that's not the reason why I will ask my neighbor also to raise the taxes. I was elected on a a program where I said I would uh, try to prevent to raise taxes. And uh, I don't have a lot of colleagues who won elections by telling that they want to double taxes. Uh, At least for the moment, I didn't hear about a colleague elected with, with that. So I think it's important to speak about common basis and things like that. But now that everybody has to have the same VIT and things like that, it's also a question of national politics.
0: Thank you very much. Prime Minister, you speak with great commitment and great passion, and you have given us great insight into what might be more or less Europe. So, would you please join with me in thanking the Prime Minister for his talk to us this evening?